Hey, Bouquet Toss listeners. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. This is The Bouquet Toss, a wedding planning podcast brought to you by thebudgetsavvybride.com to help you decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. Welcome back to The Bouquet Toss. After the big day comes another big ticket purchase for many couples, the honeymoon. With all the expense and stress of preparing for the wedding day, your honeymoon might feel like an afterthought in terms of planning and budgeting. But we are big believers that a honeymoon is an essential step in the process of getting married and celebrating your official union. But don't worry, even if you haven't budgeted another sizable chunk of money for a lavish trip after your wedding, you can still take an amazing trip with the help of travel rewards. If you've never heard about travel hacking or are new to the whole credit card rewards game, this episode is about to blow your mind. Whether or not you've been dreaming more about your post-wedding vacay than the big day itself, this episode is sure to spark your wanderlust dreams. With us today to talk all about how to take advantage of travel hacking for your honeymoon and beyond is Jessica Field of Made Possible by Points. Jess began dabbling in points and miles in 2015 and hasn't looked back since. After the birth of her daughter, she knew she wanted to travel more and show her the world, but wasn't sure how to do it on a budget. She quickly learned that her desire to travel was possible with points and miles, and now she loves sharing her passion with others. So we're super excited to have you, Jess, and have you share that passion with all of our savvy, engaged listeners. Yeah, I am super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start off right away with just like a simple, how did you get started with travel hacking? I opened my first card in 2015. And that was after I had a coworker who was traveling all over the world with her husband and her kids. And I was like, how is she doing this? How is she affording to go to all these awesome places? So I went into her office one day and I was like, hey, what's going on? Like, do you have a bunch of money that I don't know about? Or how are you going to all these awesome places? And she basically said, I travel hack, I open credit cards, I get the welcome offer. I keep opening credit cards and I was very skeptical. I said everything that now I hear people saying to me and messaging me about, I was like, that sounds illegal. That sounds shady. That's going to ruin my credit score. Like, how have you not been arrested yet? And <laughs> she was like, no, 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 it's legit. I'll send you some blogs and you can sort of start researching it and see what you think. So I did exactly that. This was like, back in 2014 when blogs were a really big thing and there wasn't as much of a presence on like Instagram or obviously TikTok. And so 
I just started reading blog after blog after blog. My mind was completely blown. And so in 2015, I opened my first credit card and I got started and I have been hooked ever since. And I've been opening credit cards still. And I have not run, people message me all the time and they're like, don't you eventually run out of cards to open? And I said, I've been doing this since 2015 and I haven't run out of cards yet. So I think I'm good. (laughs) If you had to define what travel hacking is, what would you say? Because I do feel like there's a little bit of a scary aspect just because hacking maybe has this negative or illegal connotation. (laughs) Yeah. So there are different ways that people define it. Like some people for travel hacking is just getting really good deals on flights or hotels, still paying cash, but getting really good deals. That's not how I use the term. And that's I feel like the more popular definition is leveraging credit card welcome offers to rack up lots of points and miles and then redeem those towards free travel. So it's really all about the welcome offers. Of course, you can get a lot of points just from your everyday spend, and that is a good way to maintain your balance. But really how you're going to get the most points is by opening new credit cards for the welcome offers. And so one thing that I think is amazing about this is that I personally think engaged couples who are planning a wedding are in a prime, unique position to take advantage of this. And so I would love for you to share, like from your perspective, like why is this period for engaged couples while they're planning their weddings a great time to start this travel hacking journey? (laughs) It is the best time. And I kick myself every single day that I was not doing this when I was engaged and getting married. I got married in 2011, did not start this until 2015. And so we paid cash for our honeymoon and it kills me, but (laughs) it is the perfect time a, because meeting a minimum spend is a huge part of travel hacking with every welcome offer. You're going to have to spend a certain amount within a certain amount of time in order to get that bonus. And so it's normally something like spend $4,000 in three months and you'll get 80,000 points or 100,000 points. So obviously weddings are expensive and that is such an easy way to hit your minimum spend on these credit cards by charging them to your vendors that you're using. Credit cards also come with certain protections that debit cards don't come with. And so I think it's smart to use a credit card, even if you weren't concerned about the points and miles, to me, it's just smart to use a credit card to get those protections that you get. The second thing is if you're engaged, presumably you have what we call a player two who can also be involved in your travel hacking. Player two doesn't have to be a spouse. It can be um, a friend or a family member, but when it is someone who you trust with your finances, it makes it even easier. And so being able to refer someone for credit cards and get the referral points and vice versa levels up your travel hacking game because basically every single card that you're applying for and every single card that you're fiance is applying for, you're not only getting that initial welcome bonus, but you're getting referral points on top of it. And you're doubling your welcome bonus that you're getting, you know? So it's just all around, like you're getting way more points than if you were just doing it alone. Yeah. So you can really pretty simply amass like a large number of points that could then be redeemed for practically an entirely free honeymoon. So I love this so much, but I know, like you mentioned, 
there's a lot of questions that people have that they're maybe like skeptical or nervous about getting started. And I think the biggest thing is how does opening all these credit cards, you know, impact your credit? That's a really good question. It was one that I was very concerned with when I first started. So I can totally empathize with people when they come to me with that question. I think that there's just a stigma around credit cards in general. I will say if you open credit cards and you put a bunch of spend on them and then you don't pay them off, or you make late payments, yes, that is going to ruin your credit score. But the two biggest factors in your credit score are on-time payments and making your payments in full. As long as you can do those two things, your credit score will most likely increase from travel hacking. And that is what I have personally seen. That is what a ton of my friends and family who also travel hack have seen. And that is because you are basically proving to these banks that you are a responsible credit card user and your credit score increases as a result. I think that new accounts is only 10% of what makes up your entire credit score. So new accounts is what really comes into play with travel hacking. So if that's only 10% of your credit score, then there's a whole another 90% that is just benefiting from responsible use of credit cards and travel hacking. So I know it seems scary to get into it, but really it could do wonders for your credit score. And your travel dreams. Yeah. <laughs> so I hear what you're saying about how opening the cards is an advantageous thing for your score. What about closing them? Like is there a worry that now you've opened too many cards and you have too many lines of credit open and like now you'll have to fix all that? So credit history is another factor in your credit score. I do close cards, but if there is an alternative to closing a card, I will choose that. For example, if a card does not have an annual fee, I do not close that card. Even if I don't use it a ton, even if I only use it, I try to use all of my cards at least once a year. Just put a charge on it so that it stays active. But if it's not a card that's in my regular rotation and doesn't have an annual fee, I will keep it open purely for the, the benefits of that credit history. If a card does have an annual fee, then that is sort of where I need to do the calculation in my head of are the benefits of this card worth keeping it open? And if no, then I will first try to downgrade the card, which is basically like some cards that have an annual fee have options to downgrade them to a card with without an annual fee. So I might do that. Or my last option would be to close the card. Since I don't close a ton of cards, I have not noticed an impact to my credit score because of that. I think if you were constantly opening and closing and opening and closing, that could have a negative effect, but I have not personally experienced that. Yeah. One thing also that I've realized is one thing you mentioned was like your credit history, like the length of your oldest credit cards, like plays a part in your score. I know, but also your overall credit ratio, right? So the more accounts you have open and the smaller amount that you're actually putting on cards every month, it makes you your available credit ratio like much bigger, which also plays into your score, right? 
Yeah, and it also helps you. So credit utilization is what that is referred to. And it's basically like the numerator. If it was if it was a fraction, the numerator would be like how much credit you're using. And then the, the denominator would be your total available credit. So I currently have 16 open credit cards. I don't know exactly what my total available credit is, but it's probably over $100,000, I'm sure. If I'm charging and paying off my balance every month, then that top number is pretty much staying at zero. You know, I'm not utilizing a ton of credit or if I am, I'm paying it off immediately. And so that also helps boost your score. So overall, I think the benefits and like the factors that increase your credit score with travel hacking are greater than you know, the tiny hit that your, that your score might take when you close a card or when you apply for a card. I think that's how overall people's scores increase over time with this hobby. Yeah, for sure. So 16 cards sounds like a lot. <laughs> what are your tips for keeping them organized? You know, especially if we take a look at it from like a wedding planning perspective, what would you say for someone who's like, okay, I'm going to put flowers on this one. I'm going to put DJ on this one, you know, arbitrarily dress on this one. Like, how do you even maintain that? As far as keeping track of the cards themselves, when I first started, I had a note in my iPhone. I do not suggest that. Things have come a long way since then. So I don't use that anymore. I use an app called Travel Freely to keep track of my cards, and it is a free app. You do not have to connect it to your bank account, which is my favorite part of it because I get a little sketched out about apps that make you connect your bank accounts. Basically, what you do is anytime you're approved for a card, you just go into the app, you put in which card you were approved for, and then it automatically keeps track of all your cards and for engaged couples, you can put two people in the same app. And so even though my husband is on board with this whole thing, he does not keep track of anything. I am in charge of all of that. So all of my cards and all of his cards are in my app to keep track of, which is the way that I like it. Also, that app also emails you when you have an annual fee coming up, when it's about to be at the deadline for your welcome offer, just to make sure that you have hit that minimum spend, you don't forget about that card. That is my favorite way of keeping track of the actual cards. As far as keeping track of the expenses, I personally budget with YNAB, which stands for you need a budget. And that is how I keep track of all my purchases. You can put in as many credit cards as you want into YNAB. So I have all 16 of my cards in there. <laughs> yeah, I actually use Mint personally, but I think it's like similar. And yeah. so, and I think the important thing to remember here is like everything you're putting on these cards, you want to be able to pay off in full every month because you don't want to have the hits on your credit score. And so when you're using cards to fund things for your wedding, you're probably going to be either taking that cash because we don't want anyone going into debt to pay for their wedding, right? Like that's our big thing here. You're going to want to take the cash that you've allocated for your wedding fund to pay off those wedding purchases on the credit cards that you're making them on so that you don't carry a balance and impact your credit. And when you're, when you first open a card and you're trying to hit the minimum spend, 
you're theoretically putting every single expense on that one card until you hit that minimum spend. So it could be as simple for someone who's just starting out. It could be as simple as opening a card, say the minimum spend is $4,000 in three months, putting every single wedding expense on that card until you hit that $4,000. Once you do that, refer your fiance, get those referral points, they open the card, and then you switch to putting every single expense on their card. And so that is a really easy way to just keep it simple and don't worry about like which vendor has the best return on which card. That doesn't matter. How you're going to get all these points is by hitting the minimum spend. So just charge, 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 pay it off, hit the minimum spend, refer, next card, cycle over again. Yes, this is like working smarter, not harder. It's like efficient, it's savvy, it's smart. We love it. Um, Teamwork. (laughs) Yes. Teamwork makes the honeymoon dreams work, (laughs) y'all. One thing that you mentioned was annual fees. So a lot of cards have varying annual fees, and I know they come with like different perks or bonuses or whatever. How do you evaluate if an annual fee is worth it on a card? So typically, the annual fee is always going to be worth it the first year, because that welcome bonus is almost always worth more than the annual fee. For example, the standard offer on the Chase Sapphire Preferred is 60,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards points and the annual fee is $95. Those 60,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards points are worth a minimum of $750 when redeemed for travel. So I like to say, if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, I'm going to give you $750 and you have to give me $95 back. I mean, you're still going to take that deal, right? Like you're still going to say, okay, like that's more than I had to begin with. So that's fine. Then you have to also look at the benefits of the card. Like for example, the Chase Sapphire Preferred also comes with a $50 hotel credit that you can get on any hotel that you book through the Chase Travel Portal. So assuming you're going to travel at some point during the year and assuming you're going to spend at least $50 on a hotel, immediately that takes the annual fee effectively down to $45. And there are all types of cards and all types of credits like that. And so you just kind of have to look at it and see which of those credits are going to benefit you. And are you going to actually use, like a lot of the Amex cards come with a Saks credit or a Dell credit. I don't personally count those as like annual fee reductions if I wouldn't otherwise spend that money. Like if I'm not going to spend $200 at Dell, if I didn't have the Amex card, I'm not going to really count that as a savings, but like, I'm going to spend $50 on a hotel for sure. So I do count that chase credit, you know, as a way to sort of justify the annual fee after the year though, is where, is where the calculations come in. And it's really just going to vary so much from person to person and how much they value those points. But yeah, a lot of the hotel cards come with a free annual night every year if you have the credit card like my favorite hotel card is the hyatt credit card it's a 95 dollars annual fee but it comes with a free night at a category one to four hyatt every year i can get at least 300 dollars in value out of that free hotel night so i pay that annual fee every single year if someone hates hyatt and refuses to stay there then yeah they're probably not going to keep that card so it just really depends on your circumstances but I find that a lot of them are worth paying the fee. 
Yeah, no, I think that you've like shared a lot of really good points and like things to keep in mind for, you know, couples in their particular situation. And just to nail the point home, like just because a perk is given, like it's it's almost like when you're shopping for deals, right? Like, oh, just because it's on sale, like doesn't mean you need it. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. So just being like discerning with <laughs> what you decide to do personally. Let's like talk about the possibilities involved here. Is there any limit to like how far you could take this? Give our listeners something to dream about in terms of like what they could achieve through this. I really don't think that there is a limit. I think that having a strategy is really, really important. You don't want to go too hard too fast. My motto is this is a marathon, not a sprint. (laughs) So because here's what's going to happen. You're going to get a free honeymoon or an almost free honeymoon, and then you're going to become addicted to this. And you're going to want to take free trips forever. Like you're never going to want to pay other than the taxes on your flight. You're never going to want to pay for another trip again. And so I think that it's really important to not just see a bunch of cards with a bunch of high offers and say, okay, I'm going to get all of them. Really evaluate which cards work for you. Like I always give this example. I live in Houston, which is a United hub. Even if the Delta credit card had like the highest offer it has ever had, I am not going to apply for that card because I don't fly Delta because I live in a United hub. So you have to just kind of like use common sense as to whether these points and miles are going to work for your situation. And I think, yeah, it's just really important to have a strategy It's really important to know the rules. There are a lot of rules when it comes to different banks and how many cards they will preview for in a certain amount of time. And so it's important to do your research and let that factor into which cards you're going to open, how long you're going to wait to open your next card. I think there are endless possibilities. Like I have never actually flown business class or first class before, except I'm going this summer in business class for the first time. And then my best friend and I are going to Greece later this year in business class, round trip, staying at five-star luxury hotels, completely like other than the taxes on our business class flight, which were around $400, completely free in Greece. And I've been doing this, I mean, I've been doing this for seven years now. You know, like this is seven years in. This isn't like, okay, you get it, you get started and you plan one really amazing honeymoon and then the rest of your trips are kind of crappy. Like it's not like that. If anything, you get better at it and your trips get even better. I love that. So share a little bit more about like where else you've been on your travel hacking adventures. Yeah, so we have been to Scotland twice. I normally don't like going back to the same place more than once just because there are so many places I want to go, but we went to Scotland and I fell in love with it. And so we have been to Scotland twice, completely on points, like flights, hotels, completely on points. London, we just went to Costa Rica this past year on points. We've been to Hawaii on points. And in Hawaii and Costa Rica, we had celebrity sightings at both of our (laughs) resorts, which would never happen before I started travel hacking because I would be staying at the Motel 6 equivalent of (laughs) 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be going to Hawaii or Costa Rica. Let's be real. I would be taking a road trip somewhere. So yeah, Hawaii, Costa Rica, Mexico. Did you go to Paris recently? We're going, well, so we went to, we went to London and Paris on our honeymoon. Like I said, paid cash, hadn't started travel hacking yet in Paris. Our hotel was legitimately the size of a closet. Like we had to climb over one another to get out of the bed, to go to the bathroom. And so this summer we are going back to London and Paris this time on points. And we're staying at the Park Hyatt Paris, which is, I think the cash rate for the nights we're going to be there is over a thousand dollars a night. And it is amazing. Like five-star luxury hotel in Paris. So it is going to be a much different experience from the last time I was in Paris. And how much did you spend out of pocket for your actual honeymoon? Do you remember? We did a budget honeymoon as you can, as budget as London and Paris can be. And this was back in 2011. So I assume it would be a lot more expensive now, but I assume we probably paid a couple thousand for the flights and then maybe a thousand to 1500 for our hotel in London and Paris each. So maybe like $5,000, but that was budget hotels, flights with really long layovers and terrible times. <laughs> and I remember sleeping in the airport in Frankfurt, like on the, at the gate on the chairs because we had ridiculously long layover there. This time we are going in business class to the UK and staying at five-star Hyatt properties in both London and Paris, and we're paying less. All we're paying is the taxes on our flights. So we're paying less than we paid for our very budget honeymoon. I mean, if that's not a great prime example of like how amazing this is, and anybody truly can take advantage of it as long as you are responsible and able to pay your cards off in full every month, this too can can be yours. Yeah, <laughs> Although, I tried. Uh, disclaimer, like celebrity sightings, not guaranteed. <laughs> not guaranteed. No, but I try to tell people that too. Like I have a daughter now and a lot of my audience is, is moms or, you know, people who are eventually going to start a family. And I tell them, I'm like, when I first heard of this, like the visions in my head of travel hacking was like businessmen flying in first class, sipping their champagne. Like I couldn't relate to that at all. I was like, that's never going to be me. I'm trying to just go somewhere. You know, I just wanted to go somewhere, but you really can make it your own and do your own thing. You know, I have people who they just want to go to Disney. They want to go to Disneyland Paris and they want to go to Disney in Tokyo and like, or they just want to use their points to go to Disneyland or Disney World. And I'm like, hey, that's fine. Like you don't have to fly first class and sip champagne. You can, you can make this your own and do what you want with it. And so I think that's the really cool thing that people are starting to realize like, hey, this isn't just for rich single men. This is for everybody. So I think like we're definitely sold on this journey, right? But I feel like one thing that could maybe hold people up is we've mentioned like you really need to be clear on the rules from like your bank or from the credit card company or whatever it is. How do you even go about collecting that information? Let's say you're, you know, you're researching a card and maybe you decide this is the one you want. 
how do you maintain knowing like, you know, this is kind of like what the rewards exchange would be or what are those things to look out for? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of research and it is a lot of Googling, but the nice thing is you can easily Google a card. Say you wanted to open the Chase Sapphire Preferred. You could Google Chase application rules and that would probably get you what you want. There's also a ton of resources out there. Like Jessica has her travel hacking ebook that I was reading through. I am actually launching a course for beginners that is going to walk people through step-by-step all the rules that they need to know how to develop a credit card strategy. That was something I was really passionate about because I would have consultations one-on-one with people and I was constantly just repeating myself over and over again. And I was like, I could make a course and reach all these people who are too scared to jump into this because they don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. And just say, here are my seven years of research and I'm just going to lay it out there for you and make it super simple and easy to digest. And I feel like social media has helped so much with disseminating this information and just getting it out there. And so, yeah, I mean, you got to put in, I tell people like you have to be willing to put in the work, but if you are, then the return on your investment is amazing because you get to go experience all these places that you probably didn't think you could afford or you didn't think were possible. And so I think it's worth, you know, putting in a little bit of effort. Well, I will be signing up for that course. Um, And also, I just think like, you know, we've said it, but I feel like it's worth it to articulate in this way. The expense of your wedding becomes a very scary thing when all of those things can pile up really quickly. But looking at it from this perspective and saying, well, if I actually use all of that spending to get that return on my investment later, it's like future self will thank you so much for doing it. And it it almost even makes it feel like even more of like a, oh, we actually should do all these things. Like we should splurge on that, you know, extra thing we wanted to do, or we should allocate this amount of money for the photographer or whatever it is. Because if you are able to get something out of it on the other end, then kind of like free money. (laughs) Yeah. And I tell people, I'm like, using a debit card, you're just leaving all this on the table. And I get that people that for some people that their debit card is kind of like a security blanket because that's what they're used to and they just charge it and the money comes out of their account and they don't have to worry about it. And I also tell people, you don't, you can pay off your credit card as much as you want, as frequently as you want. If you want to charge to it and pay it off every week, you can do that. There are not rules saying you're not allowed to pay the bank sooner than your (laughs) payment is due, you know? And so if that makes you feel better to get started, every Saturday, pay off your credit card and take it out of your account, you know, so that you know that that money is accounted for and that you don't have to worry about overspending. But yeah, I mean, if you're using a debit card, you are leaving money on the table. You are leaving points and miles on the table. And that goes for wedding expenses and just your everyday expenses too. Totally agree. It's so interesting. I love the point that Sari made because so often we talk about like a wedding is just one day. It's not an investment in anything in your future, but if you look at it like this, you can get a return on your spending for your wedding and utilize it for a honeymoon. So I love that kind of like reframe. 
Um, Jess mentioned this earlier in the episode, but we would love to point everyone to the Travel Freely app and website. We have a link that we'll include in the show notes to that, which will also actually give you card recommendations for your personal situation. So definitely recommend checking that out in there their card genie will point you in the right direction. Amazing. So we're going to leave this as travel hack to increase the ROI on your wedding. Love it. You've been listening to the bouquet toss, a podcast brought to you by the budget savvy bride. We would love for you to join us in our free private community to get support and inspiration from other couples currently planning their weddings too. Consider the bouquet tossed in your direction so you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. As always, stay savvy and stay tuned for our next episode. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.